This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. I've read a lot of stories about the recruitment crisis in the U.S. military. There are a number of reasons for this. It's a complex issue, but one of the complexities that I have not read about yet in the media coverage of it is religious and moral objections to the woke agenda that's working its way through the U.S. military. Why is that not part of the story yet? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. He's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. I've read a half a dozen, maybe a few more stories on the recruitment crisis, and I see no mention of religious or moral issues in any of those stories. What makes you think there might be one of your famous religion ghosts that is an uncovered, hiding religion angle in this big story? Well, part of it is looking at recruiting patterns when you look at the nation as a whole. And once you start looking for a slightly different angle on the crisis, you see some things that could connect. But I have to say that part of this also is the fact that I have friends with military experience, and I have friends who've had children go into the military. And what I'm hearing from them, now this is a very self-selected group of people, I understand that. You know, I'm, I'm Eastern Orthodox, I'm a cultural and moral conservative who doesn't fit in any political party. I'm kind of a weirdo, let's face that. But when I talk to my friends with military background and with children who've been in the military, what I'm hearing over and over is they are never going to let any of their children go into the military again. And when you ask them why, you immediately hear a litany of issues about religious, moral, and social issues. But see, these are religious people, so I know that's self-selecting. But before we, we get into why my hunch strikes me that there might be, and let's not just say religious issues, let's say cultural issues, cultural, moral, and religious issues, which is kind of a, a trinity of terms that we connect at get religion quite a bit. I think you have to start off by conceding there are valid reasons for them to be having trouble right now. I mean, if the goal was to recruit students when they come out of high school with one of your major incentives being join the military now and stash money to go to college later, this is primarily an appeal that you would be making in the late period of high school. We've just come through as every single story notes, and we have to admit this is valid, we've just come through the biggest possible educational disruption in the recent history of the United States with COVID. I mean, there are so many things you can do through Zoom, but sitting across a desk from a kid with his parents and making a direct presentation of the benefits for going into the military is probably not something that downloads automatically out of a Zoom call or off a website. 
So they have faced very real problems. The stories also all mention another thing that's true, which is in a certain type of job situation, we're in a kind of a white-hot market right now with people desperately trying to hire people. But I would point out the flip side of that is most of the places that are being hardest hit by this hiring crisis are underemployment situations. These are jobs that are not full-time, they don't have benefits, and they're in service industries. And <laughs> to be frank, part of the military's appeal in the past is don't work for your local fast food place. Join the military. We'll pay you the following bonus to join. You're going to get X number of thousands of dollars to pay for future education, and it's going to be a full-time job with benefits, including benefits for your family should you already be one of the rare young Americans who's married and has children. So there's two different ways you can spin that white-hot hiring market story. The other thing, though, that I want to mention is something that I know from having just come out of the world of higher education. Starting, oh, 15, 10, 15, almost 20 years ago, we started hearing these ominous lectures in Christian higher education about how hard life was going to be after the millennial generation passes from the scene into a kind of alleged adulthood. And all of a sudden, we have smaller numbers to work with, period, in terms of demographics. And especially, quite frankly, some of the, the recruiting pool for Christian colleges in kind of white, suburban, rural family situations, as opposed to rising numbers of Latinos, Asians, and whatever. So we began to hear how important diversity was. But I think we must concede that the military is trying to recruit out of generations that are just simply smaller. And the Gen Z, massive Gen Z generation, isn't really at military age yet. I mean, so all of those things are valid. So what makes me think there might be some moral and cultural issues here? I spent the afternoon looking at maps of where military people come from. And one of the first things you notice is lots and lots of people come from California, because in large part, California has lots and lots of people. But when you look at what states send an, a higher number of people into the military than normal, and then you look at states that send lower numbers of people than normal. The first thing that jumps out at you is the highest, the states that send the most people to the military are South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Oklahoma. There's a belt, for lack of a better term, there's a belt of dark red, even darker red, and light red states across the Bible Belt, across the Sun Belt. 
And then when you look for what states send proportionally fewer people into the military, you immediately see Maryland, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and then, surprisingly because of the big numbers, a lower percentage of people coming out of California than you would see out of, say, Texas. A lot fewer people coming out of California than you would see in Florida, Georgia, or South Carolina. So if you picture this map in your mind, our listeners need to think about that map and think how that map resembles other maps that we have seen a lot in recent years in terms of American politics. Does that shape of what I just outlined sound familiar to you? Absolutely. I was looking at maybe the, even the same data right before we came on the air, and there's no denying it, the yeah. kind of the origins of especially the enlisted ranks. Yeah, it's, it's basically Red America and Blue America with certain areas of Red America being especially crucial. And some of those are all in the southeast. Now, I saw another map that basically laid out where military recruits come from based on zip codes. And when you look at zip codes, it becomes even more apparent that we're talking about a kind of rural and mainstream culture versus urban culture in that you might have had lots of guys from Brooklyn in the U.S. military in World War II when there were Italian families and Puerto Rican families and German families and all kinds of people in Brooklyn with six or seven kids, but they're not coming out of Brooklyn now. They're coming out of rural Texas, to some degree, cities and rural Florida, rural Georgia, small towns all across the Sun Belt and the Bible Belt. And here's where things get really interesting. There was a story in the New York Times two years ago that I think cuts to the heart of this. And this is where I think the reports we're seeing now from NBC, from the Associated Press, and these, these stories that don't mention any moral or cultural issues at all, we need to flash back to this New York Times story from 2020. And here, let me read a little bit of this to you. It talks about a man who's come out of the military, loyal to the military. Soldiers like him are increasingly making the United States military a family business. The men and women who sign up overwhelmingly come from counties in the South and a scattering of communities of gated military bases in other parts of the country, in other words, in Colorado Springs, next to Fort Carson, Air Force installations where the tradition of military service is deeply ingrained. More and more new recruits are the children of old recruits. In 2019, 79% of Army recruits reported having a family member who served. For 30%, it was a parent. And that's a striking point in a nation where less than 1% of the population serves in the military. For years, military leaders have been sounding the alarm over the growing gulf between communities that serve and those that do not warning that relying on a small number of counties that reliably produce soldiers 
is unsustainable. So here's the question. What would happen if suddenly you had a massive cultural change in the military that started ticking off multi-generational military families? What if there were symbolic changes like the, the recent ruling that not only are you going to make it easier for trans people to enter the military, even if that would seem to violate some of the medications, rules, and other things, when people change their gender, lots of drugs are involved in that. And some of these have to be sustained over time. But when you start hearing about issues of gender and housing, military barracks, you start hearing the, the news the other day that transitioning male to female trans people are going to shower with the other female recruits during training and on their bases if housing is not found in some sort of separate way. You can imagine how that would affect Navy situations with boats, with carriers, with submarines, etc. These are cultural issues, but they are cultural issues that call up religious and moral issues. And this is where you start hearing parents saying, you know, I've got three or four kids. Normally, I would at least expect one or two of them to go into the military. It's what our family has always done. But there's no way I'm going to let them go into the military now. So if you're looking at an overwhelming map for recruiting that has a heavy emphasis on Bible Belt communities more than any other part of the country, and these are primarily small towns, small city, and rural communities, and you have a stunningly high percentage of people, of new recruits coming out of military families that have been military families for one, two, or three generations. I think at some point, somebody in the mainstream press might want to write a story asking the question, has anything happened in the U.S. military that has disturbed traditional, political, moral, cultural, and religious families? It seems to me to be a logical question when you look at these maps. Would it be maybe even a first step for a journalist to pick up the phone and try and get a hold of a active duty military chaplain to ask some of these questions that you've been raising? What's changed in the military? Okay, well, I would say that that's step two. If the issue of chaplains is on your radar, the first thing that a reporter would need to do before talking to chaplains is to do a search for issues and trends in the chaplaincy corps over like say the last 10 years. What has happened with chaplains? Have there been controversies involving chaplains? Are there unique issues facing certain types of challenges that others do not face? Let, let's be blunt about this. Are there issues that would face a Southern Baptist chaplain that would not face a United Church of Christ chaplain? Are there issues that would face an Eastern Orthodox chaplain 
that would not face a chaplain from the Episcopal Church. And in other words, I'm raising basic issues of doctrine here. Now, I have followed this carefully through recent years because there are crucial church-state issues related to this. To make a long story short, the whole idea of military chaplains is a church-state conundrum in the first place. You basically have ministers who work for the government. That raises questions right there. Do you fund certain religious groups more than others? Do you have atheist chaplains? The same number as you would have Catholic chaplains? Do you have chaplains that correspond to the number of recruits that come from different traditions? Yeah, here's a good one. What do you do on a submarine? I mean, if, do you have one chaplain on the submarine who is in charge of everybody? which means you have the same chaplain trying doctrinally and in terms of worship rights to work with Jewish you know, soldiers as well as Catholics, as well as Baptists, as well as you know, charismatic Pentecostals. I mean, how do, how do you do chaplains and be fair and equal and try to observe some sort of logic, you know, in terms of denominations and whatever? Now, if you, you know anything about the history of the chaplaincy, you know that, first of all, they've had a lot of trouble getting Roman Catholic chaplains in recent years for the same reason they've had trouble that Catholic churches had getting priests. They just have fewer men entering the priesthood. Well, just as a matter of doctrine, if you were on a base and you were a Roman Catholic and there was no Catholic chaplain available to you on this military base, could you go to a female Episcopal priest for confession? Just in terms of doctrine, would that sacrament work? Are you asking me personally? I'm asking you, yeah. Oh, so restate the question one more time. Okay. So I'm sure if, that I answer it correctly because I could get myself in some trouble. Oh, okay. Well, I, I could put it in... Missouri Synod terms, sure. if that would get you in more trouble. Yeah. Okay, but let's say that you are, but see, confession in Missouri Synod Lutheran doesn't have quite the same sacramental standing as it would among Roman Catholics or the Eastern Orthodox. It's very, very similar. Yeah, okay. But let's, so let's say you're a Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox Christian. You're on a military base. It's Lent, and you need to go to confession, and you do not have a Catholic priest or an Orthodox priest on your base— could you sacramentally go to a female Episcopal priest for confession? I would not go to a female Episcopal priest, no. Well, under the canon law of those two churches, you're not supposed to if you're planning on receiving communion at Pascha, at Easter. Now, among the Eastern Orthodox, we've actually had some rebellion, more rebellion than under Catholics, because as you know, theologically, Catholics probably are more diverse than Eastern Orthodox in America. But we've had a problem with Eastern Orthodox priests. Let me give you two symbolic issues. Can an Eastern Orthodox priest lead a prayer service and not pray in the name of the Trinity? Can a priest stand at the front of a group of men and women and say a prayer that does not end in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? The answer to that is no, they can't. According to their bishops and their 
ordination vows, they're not supposed to do that. So what happens if you have an order come down the pike that tells them that they have to, that all multi-denominational events of religious nature have to include prayer, but they have to include prayer that does not use the Christian trinity. Is that going to be a problem for Orthodox clergy and for lots of Catholic clergy? The answer is obviously yes. Okay, here's the next one. What if to be a chaplain and to serve a particular base, you are going to be required to do marriage counseling and even more important, pre-marriage counseling for all personnel on base? And you're going to use a curriculum provided by the U.S. military. You're required to use it for the sake of fairness and equality. And this curriculum that you're required to use now makes no differentiation between same-sex couples and opposite-sex couples who are preparing for legal marriage. Do you think that's going to be a problem for Southern Baptists, Assemblies of God, independent evangelical and charismatic, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, and frankly, Latter-day Saints, all of whom provide lots and lots of chaplains? The answer is clearly yes. We've had legal actions taken based on these conflicts. We've had some people leave the military. We've, other ha we've had other conflicts that just kind of quietly vanished, in large part because nobody wanted to discuss how they handled that issue. And frankly, they didn't want to discuss whether they let conservatives continue to honor their conscience or, and I stress this, the laws of their particular denomination. And remember, these chaplains have to be legally canon law recognized by their denominations as well as legally recognized by the U.S. military and the U.S. government. That, sports fans, is a puzzle. So if you wanted to know a quick door into moral, cultural, and religious issues in the military, yes, talk to chaplains. And yes, don't just talk to the head chaplains. Because if you know the history of military chaplaincy, you know that the head chaplains disproportionately come from liberal mainline Protestant denominations, such as the Episcopal Church, the ELCA, etc. And frequently, this is because these are churches that can enthusiastically embrace the trends in the U.S. military over the last 20 years. You talked about lost trust in the military a few minutes yeah. ago. What does that actually mean? Well, we don't know, but the stories, that's a phrase that shows up in several of the stories where they say young people no longer trust the military. And you could see that this would, would come at you from several directions. The word trust might refer to moral, cultural, and religious issues. It might refer to political issues. Just a lot of Trump voters live in these regions, and they don't want their kids going into the military now anymore. But there's an interesting passage in an NBC News report. Let me read this and see if any whistles go off for you. An internal Defense Department survey obtained by NBC News found that only 9% 
of those young Americans eligible to serve in the military had any inclination to do so, the lowest number since 2007. The survey sheds new light on both military's view of the military and the growing civilian-military divide may also be factors in slumping recruiting and how public attitudes could cause recruiting struggles for years to come. Now, here it is. More than half of the young Americans who answered the survey, about 57%, think they would have emotional or psychological problems after serving in the military. Nearly half think they would have physical problems after serving in the military. Now, I read another story that said that military families, families with lots of experience, frankly raise children that frequently are more in physical shape. They can pass the physical tests to get into the military. Several stories mentioned that a high percentage of American young people no longer are physically fit enough to go into the military, but other families tend to produce children who are. Here's a question. Do you think there would be more, I know this is a simplistic and frankly prejudicial question, do you think there might be more in shape young people living on farms and in rural areas than in suburban developments or in the city? The answer there seems, based on the maps, to be yes. And also, we see disproportionately high percentage of African Americans joining the military. And part of this seems to be an issue, in some cases, of physical fitness. If you wanted to push this to its ultimate stereotype, are we facing an issue where physically tough, pro-military, veteran military families are losing their trust in the military? While meanwhile, an entire other half of America has no inclinations to want to go into military service in the first place, in part because they feel that going into the military, quote, might trigger them, unquote. We've read all these stories about young people who can't sit in a classroom and hear discussions of hard topics, who have trouble dealing with hard issues involving challenges at work, or physical challenges that they don't want to take. Well, how do you go in the Marines or the Coast Guard if you're going to struggle with tough physical and emotional challenges? How do you go into parts of the Army if you are triggered by tough issues, toughness, military challenges, firing rifles, firing rifles at people? I mean, you could see that there might be kind of a pro military culture and a not favorable to the military culture in America. And there seem to be political and cultural issues attached to that. I am not arguing that anybody needs to say this is just a religious issue. That would be simplistic and stupid. I'm saying someone needs to ask if religious, moral, and cultural issues is part of this dilemma. Someone needs to look at these maps and, and yeah, call up some chaplains, call up some recruiters, call up people who are coming out of three generation military families and say, okay, what are the issues here that nobody wants to talk about? An attendant story here is um, that rather infamously several branches of the military have been 
well, just kind of letting enlisted and some, in some cases officers go because of the refusal, and in many cases it's a religious objection, to receive mandatory vaccines and they're yes. simply being dismissed. How should that one be handled in terms of its religion angle? Well, clearly that's another part of the picture. But I think, once again, COVID, as we found out, COVID refusal to have COVID vaccines tended to be a rural versus urban situation. Certain states were much more prone to have resistance to vaccines in their communities. And I'll bet you a dollar if you took a COVID vaccine resistance map and you placed that over the map of military recruiting. There would be some correlations there as well. So I think that's a fair question. But back to the chaplains thing for a second. I have a friend who is a retired military chaplain. And you remember the, the famous picture? If you do a search for Military Pride Month, it's, it's probably the first image that's gonna come up. And it's a picture of a camouflage helmet and on the band is printed, proud to serve. And then tucked into the band is a rainbow ribbon set of bullets for a rifle. A, in other words, a pride flag set of bullets. Well, this chaplain sent this to me and said he had sent it you know, to all of his friends and people he had served with and everything else. And what I thought was fascinating is he sent the image and he didn't say anything except I sent this to my friends and people I served with, etc. In other words, what he was saying is picture speaks for itself. Well, are there other chaplains in other churches, in other types of churches, in the dominant churches? And if you look at numbers for chaplains, Baptist, independent Baptist, independent evangelical, assemblies of God, charismatic independence, Latter-day Saints. These are all groups that provide many, disproportionately many chaplains to the U.S. military. So yeah, chaplaincy might be the door you go through. But the first thing is just look at the maps and see what questions they raise for you. So what other questions do you think need to be asked with a couple of minutes here to further explore the religion, what seems to me a quite obvious religion angle here, just to get the door open to that angle? Well, I saw the other day that there, I believe this was introduced as legislation, suggesting that if the shortage continued, they might need to put women into a draft system for the first time and start drafting women into the U.S. military. And then you would have, I presume, women drafted into branches of the military that serve in large part in military situations involving combat. Combat, frontline, rifle in hand, running into combat, into shooting, work, flying planes into combat, etc. I would see how the American people respond to the news that women might end up being drafted. Because 
what I imagine is that could create an entire new level of resistance in certain types of American families, in certain American churches more than others, and just see how that works. How do people respond to that thought? The other thing is, if you've paid any attention to military publications, you've seen a quote that's used over and over and over related to Pride Month, U.S. Department of Military, etc., Pentagon, and the quote is, diversity is at the heart of America's strength. I think what really worries these recruiters, and quite frankly, worries the journalists who wrote many of these stories, is it doesn't seem that recruiting patterns into the U.S. military, the patterns of people who want to serve in the military, it doesn't seem that that has anything to do with diversity, other than some pretty good indication of racial diversity. But when it comes to cultural diversity in the United States, diversity of background, I think people need to stop and say, we have a problem here. Diversity is at the heart of America's strength. Is that what the recruiting figures and the recruiting maps are showing? Because if not, we have a factual problem that implies cultural problems. And what I'm suggesting here is that a part of that cultural picture are religious and moral issues and conflicts that some religious traditions have with the military that more liberal religious traditions wouldn't have. And at that point, you kind of have to stop and ask, who's more likely to send people in the military, the Southern Baptist Convention or the Unitarian Universalists? Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He is author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.